eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome into the Autzen Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem, Eric Scopel on the show. Welcome to technology. I am in San Antonio where it is, Eric, um, 75 degrees and sunny. Oh. Um, you are in Eugene and it's like 25 degrees and snowy. Uh, but technology brings us together, my friend. It does. We're here together. Um, we're not doing video because full disclosure, I just, just I'm dog sitting with, I don't know if we should say it, but somebody who's down in San Antonio covering the football game. And uh, it's so treacherous driving. I was going to just stay at my place and drive across town like three times a day. No bueno, not an no. option, not not in this. So I, uh, I, I just finished driving over and I am drenched in sweat from <laughs> the drive and then all of the moving things in the cold up, up three flights of stairs. So here we are, not doing video, but we are talking Oregon football, and I think that's what everybody cares about. So, let's do it. Yeah, we've we've got um, a couple topics to to discuss on this podcast. We're going to break down some news out of San Antonio uh, leading up to the Alamo Bowl, um, and then we will also address some coaching hires that are starting to unofficially become official. Um, a lot of rumors around some big names, and those are now starting to turn into being not rumors and actual factual discussion points but first let's let's shift back to san antonio and there's a bowl game eric that's going to be played uh on wednesday evening at the alamo dome the valero alamo bowl uh oregon versus oklahoma and a game quite honestly eric if 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 they suffer any more injuries in practice and i can tell you right now they are taking things very lightly but we know that there has been freak injuries this year for oregon uh and very light practices um, they, the, the ducks are running about as thin and as low of, of numbers as you possibly can to play a team. Because, um, I went to practice today, uh, Monday, Monday morning, and it felt like I was watching an NFL team from a, from a pure numbers perspective, 31 players, Eric, there's a list on DuckTerritory.com. 31 players are either out because they've opted out. They are out because they've transferred. They are out because they're hurt. They are out because they're just not here. We have not seen them. 31 of Oregon's 88 scholarship players to start the football season unavailable. And it makes this game widely interesting of what are we going to see from an Oregon football team. All hands on deck. I, you know, the, the next man up mentality on full display this week. And, um, you know, it's kind of funny, I think, just – reflecting back to and, and i'm gonna say a name which i know oregon fans don't like very much right now maybe he's maybe it's like voldemort but mario cristobal was discussing how we might see a lot of injured players back for this bowl game do you remember that 
like it wasn't too long ago that he was like, yeah, this guy might be back. This guy might be back. And I correct me if I'm wrong, but I think only Bennett Williams is, has any chance of playing. Um, that's a player who's out, out and everybody else uh, that was quote unquote on the cusp or a possibility will not be playing. And then you add on, as Matt said, opt-outs, transfers, maybe additional injuries that have taken place since, and you're left with a really thin football roster. Um, and it's, you know, I, you know, you look at the list and I think what stands out is it, you know, they're, they're missing guys basically at every spot. Yeah. <laughs> there's, like, there's not like really, a, I mean, there are certainly parts that are hit harder than others. Um, but from just a totality perspective, like they're, they're limited. They're, <laughs> this is not the football team we expected it would be. We should note Oklahoma also suffering a number of, you know, unavailable players as well. So it's not like both, not like one team's at full strength, but boy, I think if you're Oregon, you're, you're kind of going like, this is going to be the total proof of what we've got. You know, yes. if we're able to go compete and let's say we win this football game, it's a huge testament to this program and the players on the team that they're able to do it because they're facing, you know, pretty immense odds when you consider the number of players absent and then just all of the distractions that have taken place since December 3rd, um, losing a football game and then, you know, all the coaching, all the coaching fallout that took place, the lack of you know certainty on who's going to be the head coach, lack of certainty on which assistant coaches are going to be with the team, the fact that really for every single coach coaching this game, this is their curtain call at Oregon. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's so much going on right now that if this team is able to show up in a couple of days and, and play and compete and, and actually beat a Oklahoma team, which is super talented, you know, you know, they're missing key players, but that's one of the things I think stands out from, you know, Sunday evening's press event was just how highly Oregon players spoke of all sorts of players on Oklahoma's team. And that's a very talented, football team. If Oregon's able to win that game, I know a lot of fans have kind of moved and their focus is on 2022. If they're able to win this game, that's going to say a ton about this group and about these players um, for all that they've been able to go through. There's a lot of discussion, I think, around these types of games where it's more so of the team that wants to be here, the team that wants to win the team that's not disappointed, they're not in the Rose Bowl or the college football playoff um, or a New Year's Six Bowl game, is typically the one that wins. And I think that mantra, that idea, that philosophy will hold true um, in this bowl game against Oklahoma. Um, in large part also that the pure depth that Oregon has or maybe doesn't have in this game. But this team is still loaded at some important positions. You know, Oklahoma – you know, their, their, their defensive coaches have said that um, Oregon's offensive line will be the best offensive line that they will have faced. And that is a unit for, for lack of a better term is, is healthy and, and <laughs> maybe has the most continuity uh, of any position group uh, on Oregon's roster, because yes, Ryan walk, um, he is trying to get back to play uh, in this game. He, was dressed out for the two practices that we were able to see, but he was very limited in what he was able to do. So I don't think it's safe to say that he's playing. Um, that being said, he's dressed out, which is new. Um, but it's still an offensive line that has a lot of continuity. Travis Dye is still there. Brian Cardwell is still there. Um, Anthony Brown, who is one of the best rushing quarterbacks in the country, is still there at quarterback. And so the bread and butter of this team offensively is still intact. Um, you, you can still lean on that. Um, defensively, you still have 
Noah Sewell at linebacker. You still have Verone McKinley um, at safety. You know, two guys. Verone's a, a unanimous All American, um, and and Sewell is, is an All Conference caliber guy and one of the best linebackers in college football. So you're still going to have some firepower, and I, I think we're also looking at a team, Eric, and and we'll discuss more um, about the Sooners on another podcast. But I think this Oklahoma team, yes, they're ten and two, but just like Oregon they didn't walk away with these games in dominating fashion throughout the season. They very easily could, could have been seven and five or eight and four, or even six and six. If they didn't get a a few things to bounce their way, you know, late against some really bad teams. What concerns you most in terms of the depth here? Is it defensive line? Um, And I I, kind of wanted to point to that because you mentioned the offensive line being, healthy and that's a relative term as you said because no position is unscathed right now but they're healthy enough that they felt comfortable moving jackson powers johnson to play a little defensive line i think that speaks to the depth the depth on offense but also the lack of depth on defense that you're during bull prep having to move a a starter from offense or a guy who started i think three games this season that you know at guard um over to play defensive tackle that's that's a sign to me of kind of where Oregon is ailing the most. And, you know, you it makes sense. Kayvon Thibodeau, he's going pro. That's not exactly the same position we're talking about, but he's on the defensive line. Jason Jones transferred. That was – that hurts a lot. Yes. I mean, that hurt a lot in the moment, but you you think about it. And, I mean, it hurts in the long term, but boy, in the short, short term, does it put you behind some spots. Um, and then starting those tackle, Popo Amave is not here. That, and that's the one that really is perplexing and confusing, and you hate to see it because that was a honorable mention by the media, sorry by the coaches, Pac-12 player, but I think he was an all-first team. First the, team all-Pac-12. By the media, yeah. So mm-hmm. the media thought he was an all-first team guy, and he's not here. Um, they are really running thin, and I'm curious, Matt, just, just watching, like, what, what what's your expectation for what a starting defensive line looks like because – Throughout the year, it was pretty, you know, once they settled in and Kayvon Thibodeau was back, they kind of settled into a, a, a really, a pretty good rotation there with with Popo in the middle and Brandon around him and Kayvon to the other side. And Keon where Hudson was filtering in now every now and then, and Christian Williams and Jason Jones. Well, almost every single name I just mentioned is not with the team. So you've been at practice. Uh, I don't know how much of 11 on 11 or if they really showed their hand too much, but I know they have a depth chart out, but kind of how yeah. – that depth chart had Popo on it. So like, what are you expecting this to look like on, on Wednesday? Yeah, we, we did not see 11 on 11. Um, we saw very briefly of some 11 on air um, discussion, but defensively, I think you have Brandon Dorless, you have Christian Williams, um, you have Afisi, um, you have Suavi Poti, you have, you have Jackson Powers Johnson, you have Trevin Maai, uh, and, you have Michael Afisi, and I think that's kind of your unit up front defensively. Um, it, it It's going to be interesting. I mean, the Popo, Popo Amave and Jason Jones individually, um, it, it hurts, but it, it doesn't put you in a, like, a, oh, my God, this could be disastrous um, for Oregon. Um, but with both of them now gone, yep, that's where it gets – like. You, you don't simply have enough bodies, and that's why they probably moved Jackson Powers Johnson from offense to defensive line to, to have a rotation of guys at all three spots. And that's that's a concern. Um, I, I'm concerned at linebacker. 
because y- you've got two walk-ons that are basically in your two deep again. And I think luckily for Oregon, they're playing an opponent in Oklahoma who wants to air it out, who doesn't have a power run game. They're not Oregon where they want to go double tight end every single time. And they want to have, you know, one receiver out there and maybe, you know, or, or two receivers and, you know, two tight ends and, and one running back. And, you know, they want to shrink the field and, and just play power run game every single time. Um, they actually are, are going to try and, you know, historically at least spread things out a little bit. And maybe that allows you to just ask Noah Sewell and Jeffrey Bossa to basically just say, we need you guys. There's, there's 80 snaps. We need you to play 70. Like, and, and, and please don't get hurt. Um, um, and, and instead rely on your DBs because you still have Jamal Hill. You still have Verone McKinley. You still have Jordan Happel. Um, I think Triquez Bridges and, and Dante Manning are, are, are solid, are solid corners. And then you're getting Bennett Williams back. And so your secondary, at least from a, a, a first string depth perspective, is pretty darn good. Um, I mean, obviously, I think everyone would, would say Mikhail Wright and DJ James were better than Triquez Bridges and Dante Manning this season. But Bridges and Manning played a ton of football and locked up against good receivers and had some success. And so I don't think necessarily they're going to be, you know, the the chink in the armor. It's can, can what what do you have behind those two guys and Avante Dickerson, Jalen Davies, Darren Barkins, those three freshmen, are they going to be able to play um, it, it, when called upon? Damon David is another one um, that that's going to be in that type of a of a position. So you're right. Defensive line is is a very big worry, um, and it's 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 not necessarily the starting unit; it's the second unit because guys aren't going to be able to play the entire game. Someone's going to get dinged up. Whether it's hey, they need to get a re, you know an ankle taped again or they need to get, you know, a trainer to, to, to help, you know, alleviate some pain and, and a shoulder or something of that nature. You know, they're going to have to come out for a little bit. And, and you just can't ask your entire starting lineup to play every snap of the game. Because if you do, that fourth quarter is going to be ugly. Um, and it's, it's what can they get out of that second unit when they have to come onto the football field. Um, let's, let's move to the news some good news. Um, I think a lot of Duck fans have been, Eric, you put it perfectly. A lot of people are interested in this game, but I think a lot of people are also looking forward to when this game is over and the transition of a new coaching staff and turning the new leaf. And that sounds really mean. And I don't try to mean it that way, but you know, there's a lot of excitement for the 2022 football season. And we're starting to see some reporting now that's turning some rumors of where Oregon is at in terms of coaching hires into, into truth, into fact. Um, Pete Thamel was first to report it. Brandon Marcello of 24-7 Sports also followed up. Um, we certainly have heard this name thrown out quite a bit. Um, Adrian Clem of the, the Pittsburgh Steelers from the NFL offensive line coach will be leaving the Steelers now. That that was the holdup was end of the NFL season. But he has now been let out of his deal by uh, the, the, the Rooney family of, with, the, with the Steelers. And he's coming to Eugene. And this is yet again – a coach that's got some good track record of developing players and is yet again, another really, really, really impressive college football recruiter. 
Yeah, no, I, I think the thing with, that stands out with with Clem is this guy. This guy was killing it from a recruiting perspective with at UCLA and even at SMU before that. Um, you look through the way UCLA recruited offensive linemen when he was there, and they were getting the best of the best on the West Coast in from Texas, from Oklahoma, that region as well, just because of his ties at SMU before. Guys from Southern California, um, you know, I think I look at this hire, I look at Demetrius Martin. Those are two guys that have been known to be some of the best recruiters in Los Angeles. And I thought it was really telling when I asked Dan Lanning on his signing day press conference, would they, you know, focus some of these assistant coaching hires around guys with West Coast ties? And Dan Lanning does not have West Coast ties. He said he would, and these are the kind of hires that stand out to me in this regard, um, because both Clem and Martin are are dogs down in LA. These are some of the best at the best at recruiting that region. And when you're coming to Oregon and you're trying to compete with Los Angeles schools, UCLA, obviously USC, when you're competing with those schools, and now you're competing nationally too. You think about you go watch an Alabama football game. And you're going to see several guys from Southern California starting or playing big minutes. Same thing when you put on LSU or Clemson. Those schools have recruited L.A. really, really well. And for Oregon to be viable and competitive and to do what they need to do, that has to be a priority. And I think Clem furthers that. You know, you need to have somebody with connections to that area. I know he hasn't been coaching in, co in college football for almost like half a decade. Um, you know, he went from – had about a couple of year, couple of years removed from his time at UCLA – um, before he jumped back up and, and started coaching in the NFL with the Steelers, first as an assistant offensive line coach and then as the full-time offensive line coach this season. And, you know, I think the thing, you know, you, you, you read what people say about his development with the Steelers, and I don't think that's totally fair because of, honestly, some of the shortcomings and injuries they've had to deal with. I'd also point to, I don't want to say he's a bad player developer, but a lot of what Adrian Clem is going to do for you is going to be in the form of player acquisition. Um, that doesn't mean he can't develop talent. I won't say that. You go look at some of the players he coached at UCLA, and it's certainly not devoid of all-conference and all-American caliber guys. At the same time, this guy will get you top players, and that's a big part of this job as an assistant coach in college and why he is such an attractive name. And I think it's a great fit with what they're trying to build. Um, another name we should note, kind of a little trend here of late, you know, he started when Dan Lanning was filling out his staff. It was guys he'd worked with. This is now, I think, the third name we've seen yeah. in the last week that had no ties. Uh, defensive line coach Tony Tuioti, um, Demetrius Martin, who I just mentioned, the new corners coach, and now Adrian Clem. Three coaches he's never worked with, uh, at least not on the same staff in college or, or wherever. So um, that's a little bit of a deviation from, you know, the Kenny Dillinghams and the Matthew Pallages and, you know, Marshall Malkow, who was, you know, he's not a coach, but a you know, the chief of staff and, and, you know, it seemed like early on they were targeting even Tosh Lupoi, who we'll get to in a moment here. Um, he worked with him at Alabama briefly. You know, there, there, there was some overlap. These are coaches now that don't have that, which I think sort of speaks to a couple of things. It speaks to Dan Lanning's, I guess, willingness to work with people and bring in people who are he thinks are the best, regardless of any, you know, I mean, you, you, it makes sense when you're 35 and you've never done this before to surround yourself with with people you know and you can trust. He's obviously taken, I don't want to say gambles, but it's easier and it more, I think you're probably more self-assured with hires when you know the people personally. And I, I mean, I don't know all of his relationship with these guys in terms of maybe he's 
spent time on the recruiting trail with Demetrius Martin and knows him pretty well through that, et cetera. But like from a working on the same staff perspective, the lack of that is somewhat notable. And that's not totally foreign in college football, right? You don't have to hire guys you've worked with, but it certainly is a little deviation from what we saw previously. And I, I, I think, I think this is a higher, I think it's also telling by the way, Matt, that he got out of, he's gotten out of his Steelers deal um, with a couple of weeks left in the regular season. Steelers are still in position to maybe make the, postseason i think it like takes a ton of things breaking their way so maybe that wasn't that vi- like likely of a thing but that he wanted to get out of his contract with uh, pittsburgh to get to eugene and that's telling to me because he understands the recruiting aspects and how he needs to get going on this asap um offensive line as we said a second ago from a uh, current health perspective is great big big news with big solid deciding to come back um stephen jones announcing he yep. was back the Ducks are looking pretty healthy um, this year, and they're also looking healthy from just a depth and, and continuity perspective for 22. But recruiting never stops, and I think it's notable he he decided to put off his his coaching responsibilities to come come do a college job here, where you're right in the heart of re- recruiting season, and you need to get some work done. And Oregon has one signee on its offensive line class, Michael Wooten, but had previously had four or five, and clearly Oregon would like to see three to four more additions in, in the 2022 recruiting class or out of the portal. And then there's the big report. Um, Rittenberg of ESPN had put it out there that Oregon was targeting Tosh Lupoy. Um, now on three has reported that Oregon is expected to hire Tosh Lupoy. And this has been a rumor uh, for, I don't know, basically <laughs> the moment Dane Lanning has been hired. Uh, at Oregon, that Oregon was going to be able to to go out and Dan Lanning would hire Tosh Lupoy to come on as um, a coach within the Oregon coaching staff. And it's kind of interesting. Um, I, I, I thought uh, Cooper Patagna of 24-7 Sports, um, he actually worked at Oregon and recruiting department um, as recently as last season. Um he threw something out that he was very interested to see how Oregon would, would maneuver um, from a recruiting perspective with the departure of Mario Cristobal, because look, Cristobal took it to another level. We've never seen before. And I think none of these hires uh, are official yet. Clem has not been announced by Oregon. Tosh Lupoy has not been announced by Oregon yet. Um, but if both of these are true and we have no reason to believe they aren't, I think you can argue that, the staff that Oregon has built so far is on par with what Mario Cristobal had from a recruiting perspective the last couple of seasons. I don't know if there's uh, a coach out there that will beat Mario Cristobal from a head coach perspective right. and his attention to recruiting, but Tosh Lupoy, Eric, goes toe-to-toe with Mario Cristobal in terms of success from recruiting. He has, if I count this correctly, seven – players one two three four seven players commit who have committed to him that are five-star recruits he has landed the number two player in the country in Najee Harris he's landed the number four player in the country in Shaq Thompson he's landed the number 10 player in Keenan Allen and the great thing about it is all of those guys went to different schools that mm-hmm. it, it wasn't just one school he has landed five-star players from the west coast he's landed five-star players from the East Coast, he's landed five-star players from the from the South. He he is as good of a recruiter as there ever is in college football. And if if the reporting is true, we have no reason to believe it isn't because we've heard it as well. We just can't confirm that it's done. 
this is a monumental hire. What stands out with the, the three names you mentioned a moment ago to me, Matt, is you're talking Najee Harris from Southern California to Alabama. You're talking Shaq Thompson from, I think, Northern California to Seattle, right? That part's not that crazy. But then the other one, Keenan Allen from North Carolina all the way across the country to California. Um, and, and you can go down the list and, and look through a bunch of the other names. There's obviously quite a bit of Southeast to Southeast recruiting there as well. Um, being in, in Alabama has its perks in terms of your ability to go land the best players in the country, especially from that part of the country. But you're right. This is, this is an alpha of alphas in terms of recruiting. And I think it's with maybe the exception of Dante Williams, I'm trying to think if there's any other coach Oregon has had from an assistant coaching perspective that has this kind of chops. Um, and I don't even think Dante Williams is quite on Tosh Lupoy's level. Not even close. I don't think he's even close. In terms of the success he's had. I mean, I think Dante Williams, I believe his best year as a recruiter was third or fourth nationally at USC. Um, and Tosh was, I believe, the number one uh, back in seven. I don't know. I, I wish I should have done better research and have that pulled up in front of me because I think it was 17 or 16. Um, either way, guy, guy, guy's just a superstar recruiter. And also – we haven't talked about the coaching part. I know people try to minimize that. He, he was the defensive coordinator for a couple of national championship teams too. Yep. Uh, and people do minimize that just the way that they – similar to how they've minimized Dan Landing at Georgia to a certain degree of, well, you've got a head coach who's a defensive-minded coach. Does he really – is that person really in charge of the defense? At the end of the day, whether it's title or not, Tosh Lupoy was the defensive coordinator on national championship teams at Alabama. And Dan Landing – there's a possibility in just a couple of weeks you can say he was the defensive coordinator on a national championship team at Georgia. And to have those two guys be your primaries, at, you know, your primary defensive coaches says a ton. I mean, and, and again, Lanning, another elite recruiter, you're, you're building a potentially defensively just something really special. And I would be curious to see how this plays out. I mean, Oregon from a just a – total totality of its talent perspective. Like you think of where all the five stars have been located under Mario Cristobal, even those were all on defense basically, right? Kayvon Thibodeau, five-star recruit inside linebackers, Noah Sewell um, and Justin Flo defensive recruits and Dante Manning cornerback defensive recruit. Like this program, I know Kayvon's not around, but the other three names should, and I expect to be on the roster next season. Like you're, starting with a pretty good setup. And if you have this kind of defensive coaching talent with the recruiting chops that they also have, and who knows what they're able to do in the short term in terms of, Hey, Cyrus Moss, maybe you can get him on the phone and you, yeah. can, you can get him in the fold. And there's a bunch of other names out there that you should know too, that maybe they're able to get, maybe they hit the portal and are able to pull in some of these top guys. Like you should get, I think you should be very excited about the type of roster you can build with, the assistant coaching staff and the head coach that you have in place going forward. And I, I'm not under the expectation or the anticipation that Oregon is going to be undefeated year one and they're going to be absolutely world beaters. I think it's going to take some time, but the staff you're building is a type of staff that is built for the long term, as long as these guys stick around. Because again, recruiting is the lifeblood of a program and you set yourself up for success two to three years down the road by going out and signing five-star talents or top you know, 50 top 100 talents. And that's what I fully expect this staff to do under Dan Lanning and with Tosh Lupoy and Adrian Clement, a bunch of these other names that, as you said, not quite officially official, but it sure sounds like it's working there. Um, and I will be very, very curious to see just kind of what the 
early fallout from this is from a recruiting perspective. How much can this group get done before February? Because I know that Oregon only has, you know, less than 10 signees right now, not a huge number, but boy, I'm not sure it's going to be a huge class, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't put it past a group with this kind of recruiting connections to go out and, and really have some success, even in the short term. I'm not saying a top 10 class or anything. I think that's totally out the window, but I wouldn't be surprised if they finish this up really strong. You combine Tosh Lupoy's recruiting history with Dan Lanning's, and we're now talking about two coaches who have signed 13 five-star recruits in their time including the number one, the number two, the number four, the number 10, the number 14 players in the country. Um, and interestingly enough, Eric, both guys are on the defensive staff. I, I think we're going to see a shift here, in my opinion, from a from a, a player acquisition standpoint. We might see a, a, a time where – and it's already kind of trending this way anyways – um, but we might see a couple years in a row now where Oregon's best players are all on defense. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I and I, I, it's, it's sort of this weird, I, I don't want to say Oregon will not be exciting on offense. Cause I think that's, I anticipate Kenny Dillingham to put in an offense. That's exciting. I think with Bo Nix in place, say what you want of him. It's a quarterback with experience. Who's been the signal caller of offenses that have not been awful. Um, I'm not saying Oregon's not going to be good on, on offense, but I oh, neither am I, neither am I. Neither no, no, I know, you're, I know you're not. I, I'm just trying to make this point of like, I think it's interesting looking at the evolution of Oregon football over the last decade of, okay, Chip Kelly, Oregon teams, they had good defenses, but that was offense. Everybody knew where that program was successful and why it was because of an offense that was very innovative. Teams struggled to defend. You had some years in between there with Mark Helfrich kind of furthering that you had Willie Taggart. It was such a short period of time. It's kind of hard to know what the identity was. Mario Cristobal, hard, tough, defense-oriented, power-run offense. Now you see Dan Lanning come in here, and like it's kind of almost going to be, I don't know, to me almost a full 180 in terms of what you're known for from what you saw with Chip Kelly in 2011 to now, and like 10 years later under Dan Lanning, where Oregon's identity, I think, is going to be defense. I don't think they're going to be bad on offense. I don't think either of us are saying that, but both of us are, I think, kind of opening up the possibility that like Oregon could win games – largely because they're so darn good on defense. And that's just a weird place to be with Oregon football, considering where it's been historically. It's going to be an exciting time seeing this play out, seeing uh, what the staff finishes things with, seeing how this bowl game plays out. Um, we'll have Brandon Drum of our Oklahoma site on the podcast later this week to preview this game. We'll also have our um, ultimate preview show. We're going to combine the two of them um, because quite honestly, I don't know what day it is, Eric. Um, is it Sunday? Is it Monday? I'm all me messed up here. Um, the game's played on a Wednesday, which throws everything off. Uh, yeah. So keep your eyes out for that podcast to hit the hit the links here in a little bit. Um, in a couple of days, this one will be will be plenty for you guys to enjoy as we get ready for this Alamo Bowl and as we get ready for the 2022 football season of the Dan Landing era. Until we talk to you again, you've been listening to the Odds and Audible's podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better 
because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 